Well, good morning. Isn't it good to be here? I don't know if you're awake, but I'm awake. I was here last night and wasn't quite awake. It was good to meet Brother Villarreal and his wife and their baby going to Mexico. What a blessing. Man, I'll tell you, I love Mexico. And what an open door and opportunity. I think everybody should go to Mexico. I really do. 130 million people. Can you imagine? You'll never get bored trying to reach those people. What an opportunity. I think I've been there about 40 times, and every time I go to Mexico, I pray, God, would you let me come to Mexico? And he's judged me and put me in Trinidad and Tobago. But uh, anyway, when I, when, I, <laughs> when I go through purgatory, I'll be in Mexico. Uh, I, it's a blessing to see them. Thank you for your prayers, your faithfulness, your support. And we got a lot to do this morning. So take your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, if you would. I want to, I want to steal just a little bit of plagiarism here. Some things that Paul wrote to Italians. If you've ever been to Italy, you'll understand some of what he had to deal with here. But I've discovered there's a, there's some correlations between Italian culture and, um, North Carolina culture. That may come as a shock to you. And, uh, we'll just stand for the reading of the Word of God, if you would. If you're under the age of 25, would you raise your hand if you're under the age of 25? Just stand at your feet. If you're under the age of 25, we only got four under the age of 25. Are you serious? All you're at, you young people, would you come right down here? Grab your Bibles and come down here. Thank you very much. You guys can sit in the front row. The VIP section will take advantage of that opportunity. Isn't that a blessing? This is the, this the future. The youth are the future that we should invest in. They're the backbone of the next generation. No, the front row, the front row. The front row. It's an advanced program there. All right. We found Romans chapter 12. If you found it, say amen. You're still looking. Don't give up. I promise it's there. It says there in Romans chapter 12, and we'll begin reading in verse number one. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Isn't that incredible when you get transformed? That's unbelievable. It's amazing when God transforms you, and it starts in the renewing of your mind. And he, and he says there, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, and that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Then he comes down in the very, very last verse. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to preach on the thought for a few minutes today, learning some truths from some Italians. Father, the church of Rome is made up of humans. And right here this morning... We are dealing with people that have the same sin nature. Yet, if they're saved, they have the same Holy Spirit. And we're privileged to have an opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. 
Father, we're privileged to take every ounce of energy we have and invest it into an eternal investment. Father, we have an opportunity in our life not to waste a moment on something that is empty, but something that is eternal. And each of us have a valuable place, an opportunity to play in the work of God. Help us to find that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. According to some statistics, people say that in churches, up to 93% do as little as 7% of the investing. Some statistics say that 10% of people do 90% of the work in church. Regardless of what the exact statistic is, the reality is we could change our city in our town if we reached a hundred percent. I don't believe in Christianity that it's a 50-50 thing or a 60-40 thing. I believe God has never asked us for something small. God always asks for what the world calls an extreme sacrifice. God always asks for everything. The flaw, obviously, the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter number 3 was this, that you're lukewarm. It's been said that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always Einstein defined it as insanity when you do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Unfortunately, there's many people inside of Christian churches that are insane. And if they came to the altar, they could overcome their mental illness. The They didn't get it. The opportunity for the church to change the world comes... One member at a time. That doesn't come by following religious traditions and religious cultures. It follows by steeped in the word of God like a, like a tea bag for so long that you become a strong Christian. There's not a shortcut, but every member of the church is a vital member and is needed. Can I give you several thoughts? The reason many people are not involved in serving God. I'm not talking about coming to church. Coming to church uh, uh, is not doing God a favor. God does not sit back and go, I'm so glad you're here. I don't know what I would have done if you weren't here. We don't come to church for God. We come to church for ourselves. Because God doesn't really need you. But God wants you to serve him because you love him. But there's some principles we can learn from this portion of Scripture. Number one, you see the principle of lordship. In Romans chapter 12, verse number one, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He said, God has set the example and he's given us these mercies. If if God is Lord of all, he should be Lord of all of us. And he's saying, consecrate yourselves where you set yourself apart to God. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies an exceptional sacrifice. 
It's got to be living. If we could have a revival of overcoming dead Christianity. Have you ever watched North Carolina play football? Or South Carolina play football? Or you ever watched the Tar Heels play basketball? I love to watch culture contradict itself. When people say, well, we're just laid back. Oh, yeah? Until you get a new pickup truck. We're just laid back until we shoot that 15 point. Is there such a thing as a 15 point buck? If not, you can tape some points on. You say, well, pastor, I just don't get excited about the things of God. Well, shame on you. Well, that's not my personality. If you can't get excited about the things of God, there is something broke in our Christianity. Our hearts should be beating with a passion for God and an enthusiasm for God. When the average young person spends 13 hours a day in front of a screen and has more passion for the game they're playing. Passion is not something you get by accident. It's something that's passed down from father to son and grandfather to grandson. And every person here with gray hair or no hair, and it appears we have both, <laughs> is vital to the development. Well, it's going to take a lot of work to develop this. Is vital for the development of the next generation. Two of the greatest absent energies we have is the, the wisdom of the elderly and the energy of the young. You look right here. This man right here, locked and loaded. Imagine those pipes. Never mind. <laughs> Full of energy. They can go 26 hours a day. Non-stop. They don't get tired. <laughs> And I know what you're thinking. I go about two hours a day. I just want to take a nap. I called my mom the other day. My parents are almost 80. I called my mom. Been missionaries in Alaska for almost 50 years. And I said, where's dad? And she said, well, he's on the roof. I said, what is he doing on the roof? She said, well, he's fixing the roof. He's almost 80. I says, is there no one else to fix? She said, well, he was on the roof. But I haven't heard him moving for a while. And she said, he may be taking a nap. (laughs) I said, mom, who takes a nap on the roof? You understand the roof is like this. It's not flat. I said, who takes a nap? She said, James, you have to understand. When you get RH, you get tired. You just take a nap wherever you are. (laughs) Hang on. You get the wisdom of the elderly and the energy of the young, you can change the world. Because, listen, they have energy, but they have no brains. And if you get the young people right with God, all you're doing is pointing in the direction God wants them to go. And you get the elderly to point them in the right direction. Amen? And you get the energy. And you, every old man should hook up with some young man. 
And every elder, every elderly lady, lady should hook up with young lady because people don't do what is taught. They do what is caught. Your Christianity should be contagious. And I didn't teach you how to walk. You grow into those feet eventually. And, and that's what we need is we need a, a, a gray haired man to, to mentor a young man. You say, well, they already have parents. Can I tell you, there's thousands of young men in this county that don't have a functioning father. Why don't you find six or eight, 10 or 12, 20 or 30? And why don't you lead them towards God? Every great people that serve God were influenced by someone who said, I will invest in them. Why do we do that? Because we've got to get out of our comfort zone and our motivation is, God is Lord, and if He's Lord of everything, He's Lord of me. I've been bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in my body, which is Christ. I don't belong to myself. He tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's saying, it's time for you to take your hands off your life. You consecrate yourself. And then he tells us in verse number two, you don't just consecrate yourself, you correct yourself. And he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Unfortunately, many times we're duplicious in nature. We have a, we have a divided heart. As, as John said, in 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. You know what he's saying? All of that is diametrically opposed to the things of God. There's a battle raging in your body, in your mind, who will shape you. And the world has never had such victory, in my opinion, as it's having today. You can take the decadence, the depravity, and the perversion of the last 6,000 years and access it in 30 seconds. There's been a, a sewer pipe that's burst. And it's flooded our homes. It's labeled the internet. And you can be conformed to the world in seconds. If the average young person spends 13 hours a day in front of a screen, but can't stand 45 minutes in Sunday school, you tell me who's winning. That's why he says in verse number two, you got to correct this thing and be not conformed. The world is on a goal to shape you to behave like them. It does not matter where you go in the world. Culture is always of Satan. Let me say it slowly. People say, that's just how we are. Well, who made you that way? 
When you preach the Bible, it does not matter what country you go to in the world, they say, that's not how we do it here. That includes North Carolina. That's not how we do it here. Change. And that's what he's trying to say. He says, you consecrate yourself, you place yourself in God's hand so he can change you. And he says, this is how it happens. When you correct yourself in verse number two, he says, and be not conformed to this world, but here you go, be transformed. How does that take place? By the renewing of your mind. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The reason uh, 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 we have a hard time changing the world with the next generation is because we don't let God's word seep into them. To make it effective, we've got to marinate our youth in preaching. It's a privilege to be in a different country. I come back and I preach conferences for youth in America. And uh, it's more like going to Disneyland, what they call youth conference. They'll have a speaker and then they'll go to this amusement park. Then they'll go to a trampoline park. And then they'll go to a sponge park. Then they'll go to a hang gliding park. And then they'll go to a... It's like an advanced preschool for teenagers. But to change teenagers, you got to get them in God's word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God to transform them into soldiers and trophies of the grace of God. There is no shortcuts. And to get every member in church to find a ministry to serve God, it's because the word of God has transformed you. Now, let me ask you a question. You may have been a member here 20 years. But when was the last time you did something for the first time for God? Since no one's answering, let me try it one more time. When was the last time you did something for the first time for God? Let me just scratch my head. For you. That's what I like to hear. See, she's thinking. But the reality is, many, many times we just continue doing what we've done historically. When God says, when's the next step? When's the next thing? There was this traditional religion that came down for the last 2000 18, 17, 1600 years, depending on how you count. <clears throat> it started mostly by Constantinople. In some cases, they call the Roman Catholic Church, the Anglican Church. But they taught in the Dark Ages something that <clears throat> many churches have adopted. They taught that there was, there was two levels in the church. There was the clergy, and then there was the wannabes. There was the clergy, and then there was the people that sat in the pew. There was a clergy, and they labeled the laity. And they taught that only the clergy could study the Bible. Only the clergy could pray. 
Only the clergy could know the truth. Only the clergy to serve God. Your job was to come to church and give money. In some cases, it was to pay for indulgences. In some cases, it was to help you get out of purgatory. But that culture has transformed it and mushroomed into lots of different religious cultures, including people that call themselves Christian. So now you fast forward from the dark ages to 2019, and guess what they've taught us? They've taught us that, hang on, there's the pastor, and he's, he, he's given a salary, and his job is to do the work of the church. And then there's me. And there's a separation between him and me. And he does his thing, and I do my thing. Now, now the problem with that, that didn't come from the Bible. Has anybody seen the book of Acts? Book of Acts is dread. I mean, they met every single day. They prayed every single day. Why did they reach the world? Because it wasn't a part-time Christianity. The Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians that we are all in the ministry of reconciliation. It's the responsibility of everybody who's saved, who's baptized, who's a member of church, who's serving God, to be in, in the ministry of reaching people. Every person in this building is my responsibility. I don't come to church to get ministered to. I come to church to find who's hurting and who's struggling. And I want to minister to them. If you've been saved for 18 months, I understand you're still growing and people are helping you up. But I'm here to tell you, you've been saved for several years. You shouldn't be on the whiny train. This is so hard. Shut up. It's time to reach down and help pull people up. And if you get out there in the world and the muck and the mire of this sin and depravity all around, you realize you don't have problems. Every day I've got something to be grateful for. Six months we had five members of our church, family members murdered. Last three months, every month, had someone sit down who'd recently got saved and said, I've been diagnosed with HIV. Isn't the grace of God wonderful? I was preaching a crusade in Zimbabwe. On the platform, those singing and the pastors preaching, there was two out of 20 some people on that platform that did not have HIV. V. And we're frustrated because we got bad service at Denny's. Someone didn't like my picture on Facebook. It's just so stressful. I don't know how to do it. You know why? Because you haven't got out there where the real problems are. Shall we get to our message? How much time do we have? That's what I'm talking about. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He wants you to understand, first of all, there's a principle of, uh, of, of lordship. God's in charge here. So he wants to do things with you. He wants to use you. You're not owned. Jump on board. Find a place to serve. Everybody should be involved in the ministry that is reaching people. Let me say it one more time. Everybody should be involved in a ministry that's reaching people. One more time. Everybody should be involved in a ministry that's reaching people. Because there's people you'll reach, no one else will reach. 
And if you don't reach them, they will not get reached. That's just how life is. Let me just give you the next principle. There's a principle of membership here in verse uh, number three. He says, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man and among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. What, what could what could happen in this world if people didn't worry about who got the credit for it? But to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. Verse number four, for we for as we have many members in one body, yet all members have not the same office. God's trying to say here, you have a place. In verse number five, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone, uh, one member, one of another. You have a place to serve and you are needed. Look at first Corinthians chapter nine. Hold your finger there and, and we're going to run over to first Corinthians quickly. First Corinthians chapter nine. Stay with me and we'll try and get to the message. First Corinthians chapter nine. Here's what the Bible has to say. I like it. It's in verse number 19. He says, Paul speaking, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. That, that's how you increase as you serve. I had a man two days ago, he asked me in Trinidad, he said, he said, a pastor, I've been out of work. I understand he was being sarcastic because he works for an oil company and make a lot of money. He's on vacation. I've been out of work. You can give me a work, that's what they say, a, a work at the church. I said, well, you don't understand that church, we don't have anybody who works. He said, all those cars in front of your place every single day and no one works? I says, no, everybody serves. We don't work, we're servants. He says, people don't make money? I said, no, everybody serves, they volunteer. So the reason we have all those kids at vacation Bible schools, we had nearly a hundred volunteers. The reason we have all those kids at, at youth camp and teen connections is because we have, we have uh, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of volunteers. The, the reason you see those hundred and some teenagers on a Friday night is because all those adults there, they all volunteer. I said no one comes here for money and a paycheck. Now some may have to get money to, to live and survive, but that's not their motivation. Amen. He said, that's exploitation. Well, Jesus Christ was exploited according to that definition. And, and, and Jesus said this, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery be equal with God, but he chose to make himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Ladies and gentlemen, my highest goal is to serve better. I want to be a more effective servant. I'm not looking for status or rank or position, but God help me to become smaller so I can be more effective for you. And by the way, here's his response. He says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Why was that? Because he chose to make himself a servant. First Peter, or for, uh, Philippians chapter 2. The principle of membership says, you've got to learn, first of all, that you're needed. Paul here says, here's what I, I've decided to make myself a servant so I can reach more people. Verse number 19. He said, to the Jew, I became a Jew. He said, those that were with under the law, I, be, uh, I followed them under the law. Those that were outside the law, I followed them. And then he says, verse 22, to the weak became I weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men that I might, by all means, save some. And he said, here's my motivation. Look at verse 23. And this I do for the gospel's sake. Thank you, Paul. 
Paul, thank you. Thank you so much. You're willing to change your life to reach somebody. You know where I scare myself the most is where I see myself just repeatedly getting stuck in a rut. Doing the same thing. And I look for personal development and personal growth. And if I can't identify it in the last 60 days, something is wrong in my relationship with God. I have got to be growing and expanding and maturing and developing and reaching someone. That's the prospect of change. To the Indian, I become an Indian. To the African, I become an African. To the Asian, I become an Asian. To the Mexican, I become a burrito. (laughs) Taco. Saw a boy with a t-shirt the other day. It said, last night, a taco saved my life. find out what people love and become that. Let's get back to the message. And and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a place for you to serve and you're needed in that. He tells us in, in chapter 12 and verse number 12, for the body is one and hath many members. And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. And he continues on, verse number 14. For the body is not one member, but what? Everybody has a place to serve in the body. Now, I've heard people say stuff like this, and it's foolishness. They say, well, the church is full of hypocrites, so I don't go there. But I love Jesus. And I say my prayers. Let me ask you a question. If you love the head of the body, how come you don't love the body? You cannot separate the head from the body. And if you're bad mouth in the body, you're bad mouth in the head. Amen, preacher. Let's get back to scripture. Look what he says. Verse number 18. Well, verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now, look at who's in charge. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased him. See, we look at the body different than Jesus looked at the body. Jesus has never made one mistake in how he placed somebody in the body. Jesus made you exactly how he wants you because he has a place for you in the body. That's why you don't try and be someone else. God specializes perfection and masterpieces and he's placed you right where he wants you, just like he wants you, so you can serve him as part of the body. You're needed. He doesn't stop there. He he continues on. He says... uh, Verse 21, and if the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, that I have no need of thee. You hear what he's saying? He's saying you may be the eye, but you need the head. And you may be the tongue, well, there's only one. But you need the head. You may be the hand, but you need the feet. You know the, the, the audacity, the arrogance of someone who says, I don't need the body. 
You hear people die. I don't listen. I'm a, I'm a spiritual person, but I don't believe in organized religion. You mean you're just like a foot all by yourself? You've left the body all alone? The, the arrogance of someone that would say, I don't need the body. And the arrogance of a body that says, I don't need the feet. Because you need the church. And the church needs you. And you're a vital part. Someone who says, I'm going to try and function outside the body. The, the consummate pride that says, I don't need the body. Listen, we're going to take your brain and will it to the Smithsonian. I don't need the body. I love the body. Christ died for it. Sorry. Look what he says. I told you we got things upside down. He says in verse 22, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem, circle the word seem, to be more feeble. I've preached in over 700 churches. I have seen some feeble members. And in our mind, we're like, you know, I could handle almost everybody in that church, but that girl over there, she needs to sit on that side, and I'm going to sit on this side. Everybody's good except for two. You know what God's going to do? God's going to put some body parts in the church that you can't stand, that you don't like. That would be a great church except for the sound men. If we could get better sound men, I'm just telling you. If we get a better piano player, we'd be a great. If we could get people who are less obnoxious, hang on, God will put people in your life to test what kind of Christian you are. You don't even know what kind of Christian until you get tested. You don't even have a testimony to give till you pass the test. And here's what he says, verse twenty-two. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem, in our mind we think those people aren't needed, seem to be more feeble. What's the next two words? Are what? God said, I've put them there and they're needed. Years ago they used to take out people's tonsils because they said they weren't needed. God did not give you extra body parts. Your tonsils were needed. People would take out your, what's this thing right over here? Yes, and they said, oh, that was just an evolutionary process. That was an extra bonus body part. You weren't, it it was needed for your personal development, for your immune system. God didn't give you bonus pieces. Everybody in the church is needed. We saw that one, that one, he just, you know, he's just kind of weird. He's quirky. He's a dork. He's, he's like a geek. In Trinidad, we say there's a kunumunu. There's muksi. Psychiatrists say they have a low SQ or social intelligence. Hang on, hang on, you don't understand. You're looking at people through the eyes of your flesh. When the Spirit of God looks at them and says, they are needed and they are wanted and Jesus Christ died for them. He doesn't stop, he gets more brutal. Look what he says. Verse number 23. And those members of the body, which, next two words, we what? Think, boy, haven't we thought that? Those people over there in the back row. We think to be less honorable. Look what he says. Upon these we bestow more, more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. He said the parts that no one likes. He says these are the ones that, that, that should have more honor and recognition. 
The church needs every handicapped person in the county. My goal is to have a church building where I can line up wheelchairs. Crippled people, handicapped people can come in. People that don't function well can come in. Listen, I, 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 I heard all the formulas how to build a church. And you, you go to the middle class and the upper class and make sure this parking lot's for BMWs and that one's for Mercedes and that one is for Lexus and that one over there is Infinities. That was Mexico. Never mind. You understand. Everybody says you got to build a church on people that have finances and have substance. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't build a church. God builds the church. My goal is not to reach wealth. My goal is to reach souls. And Christ built the church. And the people that we think are uncomely and don't have honor, God says they deserve more abundant honor. You don't understand how to have a compassion and a burden for persons until you have a broken-hearted person, until you have a handicapped person, until you have a, a, a hurting person, and then you find out how well your church can serve. When a homeless person comes in and no one wants to talk to them, and they're just kind of politely invisible, We've lost our effectiveness to serve those that are least. That's what he's trying to say. He says, we're doing this because we've consecrated ourselves to God. We've corrected ourselves. Our value is no longer being shaped like the world, but shaped like Jesus Christ. And I have an opportunity. God has placed me in this membership. And my responsibility is to follow the head. Let me give you one more thought. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll nail this down and we'll be dismissed. He tells us, look, he said, I did this on purpose. In Ephesians 4 and verse number 11, he says, and I gave some apostles, they've all passed away, and some prophets. There was two kinds of prophecy. There was foretelling and foretelling. Foretelling was predictive prophecy. Foretelling is what we call preaching today. And some evangelists, some people call those missionaries. Evangelist in English means sent one. Where apostle in the Greek means, because I know you guys study Greek, means sent one. You, you know, that's the unique things about the New Testament church. In the Old Testament, they put up a sign and said, come to Jerusalem. Come and worship. In the New Testament, they took down the sign and said, go. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we put up a sign that says, come to church. All welcome. When God said, go into all the world and bring them. Friday night, we had a program in Trinidad called Friend Friday. And every teenager, before they can come, they've got to bring a friend. What a great opportunity. You guys could fill up the whole front row. 85% of teenagers come to church because they're invited by another teenager. You guys got your work cut out. What an opportunity. Look what he says in Ephesians He continues on, he says, God gave these four, right here, and some pastor and teachers, no comma between pastor and teachers, same office. The reason God gave these as a gift to the church was found in verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints. You mean I've got to change? Yes. Statistically, they say 3% of people have personal change after the age of 21. I've got to change for the perfect and the saints. Why do I need to get perfected? Notice the next statement. For the work of the ministry. 
God gave us a pastor. He's like a coach. He cracks a whip. I mean, he helps us get perfected. He teaches the word of God. The Holy Spirit does an inward work that changes and shapes us into something that we used to not be. Amen. So now we can serve the Lord, not because we have to, not because it's an organized program, because we're going to serve the Lord and reach out to people and bring them to church and bring them to Jesus Christ 24-7 and not one hour a week. Because it's something that's done from the heart. And then he continues on. He says, God put these people in our life to perfect the saints. Why? So we could work in the ministry. What kind of work are we supposed to be doing? As we work in the ministry, the goal is to edify, he says, the body of Christ. Here we are. The word edify means to build up. Every single brother or sister in God's house should be working in the ministry to build up the whole church. My job is to come to church to build you up. Everything that comes out of my mouth is to build you up. Why am I doing that? Because I want to please God more than I want to please anything else. Do I deserve to be built up? No. But I sure do enjoy when someone says something I don't deserve. You know what God says? God says when what should come out of our mouth is that of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. We can build someone else up. He says, how long should we be doing this? Till we all, verse 13, come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. He's saying right there, follow the head. The head is Jesus. And he died for the church. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body, he said, I want to bring it all together, fitly joined together and compacteth by that which every joint supplieth. According to the effectual working on the measure of every part, making increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love. Now, here's what he says. Here's the difference maker right here. Here's what will determine what you do at Temple Baptist Church. It'll determine who you are. Verse 17. This I say, though, in testifying the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. When you realize who controls you, it's no longer about us, it's about him. Take our hands off our life and give it to God. Say, God, would you shape me? Would you use me? Would you make me? So I can build up this body right here where you've placed me. I look around this room and I see people have been faithful for many, many years. Incredible servants of the Lord. But can you imagine, church, what would happen if this church was called a 100% Baptist church? If we didn't follow the statistics of 15% of the people do 85% of the work. If 100% of the people were in a ministry reaching people. So where does that start? It starts with one person at a time. Father, we appreciate the grace of God and the truth from God's word. Father, we thank you for the testimony of this church, the pastor, the leadership, the people that are here. What you've done Father, we know we're weak and we're feeble, we're frail. Our hope is not in us at all. We have failed. 
we're flawed. And dear God, we're trusting in you and depending on you for anything to happen in this service. But dear God, in the next couple of minutes, might we take a moment and look inside of our own hearts personally. Might we examine our life. Might we in humility and teachability, not in sensitivity, not in self-pity. Holy Spirit, might you teach us and say, there's some things we need to change. Dear God, might this morning be the catalyst through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that takes some people in this room to change that affects others for eternity. And I, I pray, Father, that we would not duck the Holy Spirit, we'd not deflect the Holy Spirit, but we would run to our best friend, the Holy Spirit, and obey. We thank you that you always lead us right. And help us to stay close to you and magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen.